Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? During times in this episode, there is sensitive content that may be traumatizing to some audiences. Listener discretion advised. I'm so glad to know that Lisa and her family, after contracting the COVID-19 virus last year, have fully recovered and doing well. As we will share, we are cousins-in-law. My father's brother's wife married her father's sister. I'll say it another way. My aunt's brother married her aunt. We've known each other as adoptees throughout our upbringing in the family and would see each other at various gatherings, yet I don't recall us ever having a discussion about adoption. Lisa's need to have concrete evidence to support any information obtained regarding her adoption makes her a great candidate for detective. She is a just-the-facts ma'am kind of person, and that quality can go a long way. In this episode, Lisa gets as vulnerable as one can possibly be when it comes to such an intimate conversation about what preceded being placed for adoption. I appreciate her candid account of reaching out to the adoption community, mainly me, and being guided down the road of reunion by Melissa Mitchell, whose name you will hear often mentioned in this podcast. Lisa is an educator, articulate, and easy to understand when she explains her journey that is nothing short of tricky to manage at times. Allow me to introduce you to my cousin, Lisa Bowler, who I'm proud and happy to call a member of my extended family. So Lisa, how have you been doing since uh, COVID-19, since the pandemic? I know I haven't talked to you in a while. Uh, I've been doing well, actually. However, my daughter and I, we actually had COVID back in Thanksgiving. My daughter works in a hospital. She's a nurse. This is her first year out in the career world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we actually, you know, ended up testing positive. But our biggest concern was my dad, who's uh, elderly. He's 85. Uh, But we quarantined. Everybody was fine. My dad was fine. We got the, the vaccine in probably starting in January. Everybody took their turn through January and the first part of March. So we're all vaccinated and we're all doing fine. Oh, Thanks good. Yeah. I'm, I didn't know that. And I'm glad you are doing fine. Everybody's well. Mm-hmm. I was like thinking, like, I know we're related by marriage. And I was thinking, okay. Yes. My father's brother's wife's brother married your father's sister. Is that right? Yes, I think <laughs> so. I, I, I think I got lost somewhere in the, about the third brother, but yeah, right. That right. Yeah, like I, I wrote it down because I was, because like I know, like in my head, I know, but you know, like if you have to say it to someone, 
Like, how do you say it? And I said, okay, Aunt Kitty's brother, Walter, married your Aunt Lou. Yes. Yes. So the way I I think about it is um, this was my Aunt Lucille's in-laws. This is her in-law family. Right. But we always considered you all extended family as well. Exactly. So it's just easier to to kind of, right. So then my dad was... No, I'm sorry. I was going to say Mary, but that's not right. My dad, um, my Aunt Lucille, um, that's my dad's sister. And so her husband, you're on her husband's side of the family, the in-law side of the family. So right. that's, that's the easiest way for me to remember it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why don't we just start with you sharing a part of your story? I am adopted. I I think that is... A part of my story, it's not the only story, of course, but it is definitely a part of my story. Um, Unlike some adoptees who don't find out until later in life or when they're older, I have a sense of always knowing from when I was five years old. Uh, And the, the memory that I have of it is going to the doctor with my mom and my brother, who's 16 months younger than me. We were going to see this eye, ears, nose, and throat doctor, and I feel like I remember overhearing a conversation that my mother was having with the doctor, and I heard her say that I was adopted. Mm. So I waited until we I waited until we got home, and I asked my mom, you know, about it. You know, she explained it to me, and she also explained that even though. As a five-year-old, this felt like new news to me that this was not a secret. This was something that they had always told me. You know, they always were pretty open about it. Um, I I definitely have a memory of knowing that. Yeah, that's, um, that's pretty good. I don't ever remember not knowing. I'm thinking there's certain things I remember from five years old. But I feel like I knew at five. Yeah, like, I don't know. Maybe that's when our first memories really <laughs> try to kind of solidify it at age five. Yeah. So you've always known. And how did you feel about being an adoptee? Like knowing you weren't biologically related to your family? I think I, I, I definitely remember as a five-year-old feeling that that was a badge of maybe don't want to say honor but it set me apart it made me special I was different in a good way mm -hmm, yeah from other kids you know I felt wow you know this is this is different you Mm -hmm. know and so I remember going back to school um after I found out and in five-year-old girl fashion promptly announcing it to everybody that I could, you know, come into contact with. Right. Uh, you know, just to make sure that they knew I'm special. I'm not like you. I'm, I'm adopted. Yeah. And it was, yeah. It was a gal in my class who said to me, oh, well, that means that your brother isn't really your brother. And at that moment, I was just crushed because I felt like whatever special, whatever five-year-old special I felt she just took the wind out of me and it was no longer special. And then I was like, wow, you know, what does, does that mean? He's not my, my real brother or, you know, it was just something mean to say. I stopped announcing it and I didn't tell people anymore. Not that you would just normally, even after age five, hi, my name is Lisa. I'm adopted. You wouldn't do that. But 
just that early realization, um, I think I was probably just putting it on like you put on a pair of shoes, a new shoes or a new shirt, you know, a new dress and trying it on and wearing it around. Somebody just kind of threw mud on my dress and that was kind of the end of it. So I'm guessing you weren't friends with her. Well, I actually remember her name. We will not divulge that. (laughs) Kind of, you know, one of those kids on the playground that was just kind of a low-key bully. Anyway, Mm -hmm. it's not surprising that she would have said that. But in the way that it was explained to me that I was adopted, because my brother is, is my parents' biological child. I didn't associate my brother not being my real brother uh, when my parents said that, when my mother said that. So to have somebody say that, that just was like, wow, Mm -hmm. you know, is that what that really means? You know, I was born in August. I came home with my parents in December and my mother got pregnant in February of the following year, you know, that, you know, as it goes chronologically. And then my brother was born that November. They had been married quite a while, maybe six or seven years by the time I was born. And so this was, you know, what they decided to do. And as happens in a lot of couples who adopt whatever stress, um, you know, is kind of interfering with their ability to, you know, have kids, just the magic adopted child increased their fertility and then my mom got pregnant so my brother and i were very close in age uh that's why we're 16 months apart Mm -hmm. yeah i've heard that too that Mm -hmm. parentless couples adopt and then here comes a biological child yeah i've heard that yeah lo and behold (laughs) did you ever think growing up that you were treated special like by other family members Like, I remember growing up, and it seemed like everybody was just super kind. And I was talking to an adoptee yesterday about this, feeling like maybe they were extra kind because I was adopted. No, I I can't say that I had a sense that family members treated me um, special or differently. You know, like I was saying, how I felt I had this magical... (laughs) You know, uh, and finding out I was adopted, I I didn't feel that. However, all this didn't happen at age five. But in conversations through the years about being an adoptee, my mother said that there were members of the family that didn't want me to be told I was adopted. They just wanted to go along as if I was the biological child. Mm. Um, And it was my mother, and I keep saying mother, but certainly my dad was a part of this as well. But it was primarily my mother that I had these conversations with. But it was my mother, my parents' desire that I would be told. But I know specifically my mother's father, he was one, I believe she said, there's no reason to tell her, you know, it's not a big deal. Just let her think that she is a biological child. And then one summer, my father's parents lived in the South, and so that side of the family. So we were visiting, I want to say, in middle school age, you know, maybe 10, 11, 12, something like that. And we were visiting, 
extended family, you know, I couldn't even tell you who these people were um, because when I was growing up, there was just a lot of family members, you know, elderly family members. I remember having nine grandparents on both sides of my family at one time. So we were visiting extended family. And the woman said when we were, you know, kind of introducing and telling who these children were, she said, oh, you're the child they got. And I remember, you know, how you hear people say that. I kind of did a double take and I was like, what? What did you just say? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and then it occurred to me that she must have known that I was the child that was adopted. But that's how she said it. So my dad and I, my parents, my, you know, we laughed about it because I remember going back to them and saying, hey, did she say what I think she said? And my dad just thought it was the funniest thing. And then it was this awe and wonderment on the other side of the family where she could proclaim, oh, you're the child. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm the child. Yeah. It seems like I can remember somebody saying that. And I'm thinking Mm -hmm. more on my dad's side. Like you said, the South, I would travel Mm -hmm. to his home of Alabama quite Mm -hmm. often, too. And it seems to me I do recall something like that. There's mm-hmm. some kind of distinguishment. Because, you know, my dad really didn't, I don't think he really thought black people did that. Like adopt mm-hmm. a completely, yeah. yeah, a child from mm-hmm. a completely different family you knew nothing about. Like Absolutely. he was more in tune with what we call kinship adoption. You know, like somebody yes. down south mm-hmm. that can't raise a child. Yes. Um, we take mm-hmm. their child and raise them. Mm-hmm. And my mother mm-hmm. was not for that. But, Absolutely. Yeah, so you grow up and occasionally you have conversations about being an adoptee with people, I'm sure. Comes up here and there, right? Like mm-hmm. friends, people you meet. I know I talked about it quite often. And kind of like you described, I kind of wore it like a badge because uh, mm-hmm. I like the idea of being different. I, I don't know mm-hmm. why, but I did. But when you... um. Throughout your, like, young years, I'm saying 12, 15, Mm -hmm. did you ever think about your birth family and wanting to know who they were? Yes, I did. As we got older, I could see resemblances through the family. Like my Aunt Lucille looking like my dad and, you know, my brother. Like, I always thought that I looked like the bowler side of the family, my dad's side of the family, that my brother looked more like the Allen side of the family, my mother's side. But as I got older and I began to see some pretty strong resemblances, I then I began to wonder who I looked like. You know, that's, I don't want to say I became obsessed with it, but I felt like when I went places where family members were, even if they weren't my own, I was keenly observant about who looked like who. And I was constantly searching for or wanting to know, was there somebody out there that has to look like me? And I wonder who that person is. You were in touch with that mirroring piece that you mm -hmm. didn't have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, I wanted to see that. So it was funny, you know, to have people say, Oh, you look just like your mother. And so I would kind of, you know, laugh, but I (laughs) I wouldn't proclaim that's impossible. Right. Um, Right. Me either. But as I got older, number one, that's impossible. Mm -hmm. And then number two, 
I, I, like I said, I just began to see family resemblances everywhere. Uh, I just wondered. I'm like, nobody looks like me. And then there was kind of a sorrow, I would say, that was involved in that as well. Like, man, you know, there has to be, you know, do I look like my mom? Do I look like my dad? Are there siblings? Do I look like them? So over the years, totally unlike, and I know this is kind of moving away from your question just a little bit, but over the years, my parents would tell me as much as they knew from the adoption agency um, about where I came from. That's probably really unheard of in this day and age with privacy laws and HIPAA laws and everything. But I knew that I had a young mother, a, uh, you know, a teenage mom, uh, that the father was possibly older uh, and that the parents, the grandparents, my my grandparents wanted my mother to finish school and make a life for herself and, and not have to raise um, a young child. So I had a, um, how do I say it, a sense of a mother, you know, if she was younger, maybe she'd be this age by now. So I could kind of depict that. Uh, but, I, you know, again, I didn't know what she looked like. I didn't know if she went on to have other kids. Yeah, I always wondered, who did I look like? Who did I sound like? Mm-hmm. Did, and, and because you were wondering that, did you ever say, you know, I'm going to search for her? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. As a teenager? Yeah. Yes. So I had my birth certificate, but my birth certificate did not list uh, the hospital I was born in. So you had your original I, birth certificate, mm-mm, mm-mm, just the, the birth certificate I would have received from my, you know, when my parents adopted me. Oh, the amended. Okay. Right. So I, you know, through my mother's papers, I may have come across, um, you know, some legal documents, a few legal documents here and there. I found some documents um, from the lawyer. There was no hospital on the birth certificate. And I always thought that that was odd. So I remember one time, it certainly was in the days before there was internet, but I remember I had in my mind, all right, I'm going to call some hospitals. And I don't know what I thought this woman was going to tell me, but the first couple of calls that I made were all, were in the double digits. And so I quickly realized, yeah, this is not going to work. <laughs> So I abandoned, aborted that mission very, fairly quickly after the second call. You know, as a teenager, where do you start? I didn't know, you know, where to start, who to go to. At the time I was in my 20s, they have like intermediaries and they have these registers because now the Internet is is up and running. So your desire so, to search you never talked to your parents about? I did. Um, so my mother and my Aunt Lucille used to ask me all the time, want to find your parents and you know you want to find your mother you ask me that all the time and I would tell her yeah I do and my mother knew that I was interested and she supported that she did I did have access to my amended birth certificate which it had my legally changed name of course and but it didn't have the name of the hospital one of the things I remember my mother telling me Probably when I was in, maybe in by the time I was in high school, I'm going to say I was making a pretty big push. So I remember my mother saying to me once, you just need to be careful that you are ready um, for this information. You know, be careful. You might find what you're looking for. and You need to be prepared for what that is. 
And it was something about the way she said that. I think my mind just kind of raced. Well, what if I was a child of rape? Or what if I was a child of, you know, my mother had been attacked somewhere? I had never really considered that. And even though that's not what my mother was saying, I felt like the message was clear. Right. You know, that there there might have been something going on in the family that if I found out, you know, what was going on, could I handle that? Do you think I she just, knew? Mm, like had more information than I she do. was telling? I, think, okay. I, I, I do. I think that they gave them specific information, but not detailed information, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Because I've often wondered how much information my parents had because my mom was not supportive she she just didn't want me to search I think three different times I asked her through my young years looking back I wonder did she know some things that she didn't want to want me to, to know yeah and I think that that when she made that comment that was enough for me to say well maybe I shouldn't do it right now and understand that you know when I'm between the ages of 15 and 18 there's not a lot that I could have done anyway. Right. I just felt like at that point, I think I just got spooked. Yeah, like, that's well, a good word. I don't, do yeah. that. I don't, you know, maybe I, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I just stopped. I'm glad you used that word spooked because I think that's what happened to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I got spooked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at 12. And, and I called it shutting down. Like, okay, I shouldn't mm-hmm. search. Okay, you don't mm-hmm. want me to. So, right. Yeah. You decide that I'm a bit spooked by this, and so mm-hmm. let's just carry on with life. Because I think as adoptees, there's so much more in our lives going on besides being adopted. So yes. it's easy to kind of keep it moving. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I went to college. Somewhere in the spaces of getting married and, you know, having children, by now they have created those registries in Illinois, you would go to this exchange and you had to register. And then if the, the biological parent registered, then you could be matched. I never registered, but also by now there are tons of things on the internet that seemingly will help you find this information. I don't know if you remember like in the, you know, early nineties, early 90s through the 2000. Now it's all over the television shows. People are getting matched and reunited everywhere. And so it's just constant, even though in my mind, I may not have been actively searching. You know, I'm seeing people on television who are, you know, this is happening to they're right. they're getting matched. There were now resources that were available that seemingly would help you. But I was always skeptical that, yeah, they're going to ask for all this information and I'm going to end up with nothing. So I never pursued that. You didn't think um, it I could didn't. happen for you? No, right. I, I didn't trust the people. I, You know, did, did I think it would happen? Yeah, maybe because I was extremely skeptical of that. And, and especially if there was money involved where you had to pay for the service because that's an emotional draw that that's what they were going to manipulate. You know, you wanting something so bad that you were going to pay any amount of money to get that information. I'm like, I'm not the one. You're not going to do that to me. <laughs> so I tried to do it 
with the resources that, you know, like the exchanges and, you know, there's tons of paperwork that you would have to fill out. This was in the days before, before PDFs. So at that point, I'm like, well, do I really want to do this? What if, and this is going to sound bad, what if my mother's a crackhead? And then in reuniting with her or reaching out to her, by now I have a family, I have a husband, I have children. I'm financially stable. What if this person is not? And yeah. they want something from me that I may not be willing to give them. Mm-hmm. I don't um, think that's so, bad. I don't think that, that's that's like real. That's real talk. And it could be so, anything. They could, oh, yeah, it could be absolutely. an illness. It could be just right. a whole bunch of stuff. Absolutely. So that was kind of going through my mind as well. Oh, I know what the deciding factor was. When I could get my real birth certificate. So 2011, right in there. Mm-hmm. Is that when that you was, you got it? I, I believe it was. So I waited the. So whatever whatever year it opened, mm-hmm. um, if, if I'm not mistaken, they let everybody who was born before 1945 go first. Right. And then in November of that year, I can't remember what year it was, but in November of that year, everybody born after 19. 1945 could request right so it was a few months after uh, they opened it for you know the the after 45 1945 that I requested it and it was pretty painless I sent my what was that 15 or 25 dollars not even um, maybe a week it didn't take long at all I got my birth certificate so that had to have been yes 2000 11 to 2000 I'm sorry 2012 you are correct 2012 yeah yeah because we could request it in November of 2011 mm-hmm. so like I got mine in 2012 got yeah you. yeah but 2011 2012 right so you get it it comes in the mail it comes in the mail and I have my mother's name on the birth certificate and I think that just changed and I want to say that changed everything. Mm-hmm. Um, How did you feel I, seeing her name? You saw a signature? I saw, uh, yes, I saw a signature. And I wasn't, like, like I, I don't know. I think I was just like the doubting Thomas on everything. Like, is this her signature or is this a computerized <laughs> signature? Like, signature is Right, right. You should have been a yes, detective. That, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? That, that changed. I watch a lot of detective shows, so maybe that's why that just changed everything like I had so the name and then I always get it mixed up but she was living at the time in Harvey it didn't have the address but it had the town that she was living in at the time it had her age was on there which backed up what my dad had told me some years before and my dad has this kind of he romanticizes history so to (laughs) see something that he said actually be true I was just blown away mm-hmm. like you cannot imagine you know it was almost like so what he said was true and it's not like you doubt it it's just like what part did you embellish and what part is the truth mm-hmm. and to see her age she was only 15 to see the age on there that blew me away too it ju- I was just like whoa whoa mm-hmm. you know we've got some truth in here that I always assumed was just something he added to make the story sound good. Mm -hmm. Then there was the address. I'm not going to say hospital, but the address where I was born was on there. And that was new. 
So because when I put the birth certificate side by side, the amended and my legal birth certificate, they were identical with the exception of a few spaces, of course, where the parents names, my parents were there. And then the hospital was blank on my amended birth certificate, but this address was there. So I looked up the address because I, I couldn't figure out, like, why would you just list an address? Where, and it turns out it was the Salvation Army Booth Hospital, mm-hmm. um, which is where, you know, pregnant women, young girls went, single women went, you know, women that couldn't afford health care at that time. This is where they went to give birth. Yeah. And so then I, I was that just blew me away, too. It's like, whoa. I want to just I would like to stop and talk a little bit about that because my birth mother was also at Salvation Memorial okay. Booth. Yeah, and I saw that on my birth certificate as well. And uh, I know I'm a couple of years older than you. I believe I'm 64, right? And you're... Okay, yes, 55. I'll be 55 this summer. Okay, yeah, we're two years apart. And so my birth mom would have been there. And I think we talked about this some mm-hmm. time back. Uh, my birth mother would have been there a couple of years before yours. Right. Yeah, which I... That just kind of blew me away when I thought about it. And I was wondering, you may have told me this, the adoption agency, was was it Chicago Child Care? Yes. Yeah, we both went through the same agency. I just wanted to say that. So go ahead. I think it was really my birth mother's name that probably sparked the new interest. I'm not going to even say probably it was. It sparked the new interest because when you put a name to something, it makes it tangible. Yes. I think that's the best way to say it. Yeah. And so now that I had a name, it's like this person really existed. It's real. Yeah. I just did the budget detective type thing. (laughs) So I remember thinking, well, I have a name. Now I have a a town that she was living in at the time. I know how old she was, how many, what high schools, what, you know, were, you know, open at that time that she would have gone to. She's 15. She would have been a freshman in high school. So where would she have gone to high school if she lived in this town? And so I just got on the internet, you know, started to research that. So I narrowed it down to two, you know, where would the black kids have gone? Was it a separate high school for them in the 60s? I was able to narrow it down to the high school. Then I went on, what is this, classmates.com. I went into the website and looked for the high school yearbooks from, you know, whatever high school I thought she might have attended. You know, now I have a picture. You know, I have several pictures in this yearbook. Of of your birth mom. Yes. Wow. That was my birth mom. Mm -hmm. We had a freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, and a senior year picture. I posted, you know, I I printed them out and I cut and paste them all together. They're all black and white. Um, and I remember asking my parents or saying to my parents, I think that this is the name that I have from the birth certificate. And I showed them the birth certificate. This is a picture of who I think might be this woman. And so I remember showing it to them. And one of my parents said, yeah, that looks like you or they uh, noted a resemblance, you know, because I would stare at the pictures 
and think which one of these pictures looks like me. So you didn't see and yourself in the, the pictures. I, I think it was a combination between just being afraid to see it, mm. you know, and then also I had no guarantee that this is who it was. So I don't want to say definitively, yeah, I think I look like this woman. Mm-hmm. So I was really, really hesitant. I just thought my parents were just saying that. I don't. So I would ask people, do you think this person looks like me? You know, if, if for as many people that said yes, I didn't get very many no's. I never, you know, I never believed it. I think I just hit a wall at that point because I work in education. I would ask people, you know, is it possible to get a transcript to check to see what's on this transcript from this high school, you know, from this girl? But I could never get anybody who knew somebody at the high school that could do it. And so it just kind of languished, you know, so that had to be 2012. So I take it her name was pretty common. I didn't think it was. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the reasons why I thought this is a really strong coincidence. Because even in that yearbook, she was the only Wilkinson. I think she was the only Wilkinson. And I don't I don't know. I've never met very many Wilkinson. It wasn't really uncommon. It wasn't like ghosting. Right. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I didn't want to get I'm going to be honest. I just didn't want to get my hopes up. Right. And I'm so the opposite. I need to be more like you because I just get so excited. Like I'm just and then the truth comes out and I'm like, dang, I I wasted all that excitement. Right. Right. (laughs) And I I wanted very definitive. I wanted definitive proof. You got to tell me, show me. (laughs) You know, if you're telling me this is who it is, I want to know, how do you know that? Right. What's making you think that? (laughs) Where are you getting your information from? Those are the kind of questions. For in as much as I believe your law enforcement background really helped you um, make the connections and find um, your birth family. I dare say, you know, I'm an English teacher by trade. And so when we teach the students to write papers, we ask them to source their information. You can have an opinion, (laughs) but you have to source it. And you have to have several sources. So all of my English teacher was coming out. Okay, you know, I need sources. I need several sources. Um, It's not enough for you to say I look like her. You got to tell me why. And, you know, fast forwarding just a little bit. Once, you know, I was working with someone, you know, the person that was really giving me the definitive proof. I remember asking her something like, well, what percentage do you think? I was like, you know, out of 100, how close do you think this is? Right. You know, I remember asking, you know, even when she would say, no, I think there's a high probability. I'm like, well, in the high probability, <laughs> I really didn't want to be disappointed. Right. I wanted, if it's not, if it, if this is not the real thing, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Just, let's just say that up front. But don't have me thinking that this is who it is and then my hopes be dashed later. I think that's a good way to approach it, actually, because that way you right, you don't have the attachment mm-hmm. until you should, you know, until mm-hmm. it's time to say, OK, well, this is, in fact, the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you decide to search, like really get in. I remember when you contacted me. I don't know what year that was. Let's talk about that. Yeah, when was that? And, you know, I'm really bad with numbers. I'm an English teacher for a reason, but 17. So that would have been 2016-ish. I think I contacted you probably sometime 
and it's it had to be between 2016 and 2017. Yeah, I was gonna say like four years. It just and then it just really unfolded. So wherever you want to start, because you know we are members of extended family. Family, I knew that you were adopted, and and I'm gonna tell you the reason I knew you were adopted is I think one of my parents told me. So when we were teenagers, you know, middle school kids, um, I had a sense of who not only who you were, but what you were Mm -hmm. and that you were adopted. And I remember my dad saying something about they got some like they knew where to go or or whatever it was from, you know, maybe your parents. Exactly. Yeah, I heard that story, too. Yeah. And so I was aware of that. I don't remember if I knew you had found your birth parents, but I had two connections within the family. I knew you were somebody to contact. And then I had a first cousin on my mother's side who um, was heavy into genealogy. That So the universe gives us what we need when we need it and at the, at the time that we need it. Mm-hmm. So I do believe you were the person that I reached out to. It was meant to be. Because certainly, you know, you gave me a person to contact. And then, like you said, it just kind of, I don't want to say escalated, but it just kind of went from there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you put me in touch with, she was a birth mother. Militia. mm -hmm, Yes. Who had been uh, reunited with her adopted, I'm sorry, her birth daughter. Uh, But she, in talking with her, uh, she had made this kind of a mission in her life to work with uh, adoptees and 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 uh, uh, you know mothers that had given up their children for adoption. Um, you know, this was kind of her passion, her mission. Mm-hmm. And so, in speaking with her, I had, like I said, a lot of missing pieces or pieces to the puzzle. Um, I came to her again with a name. I had um, a yearbook picture. And um, that's pretty much it. And so she was able to parlay that into, I need a birth date. There was a guy that I was introduced to who worked in the school district where my mother, my birth mother went to high school and he was able to get that transcript. He was a administrator in uh, this particular district. Um, He has since passed on. He uh, was an administrator in the district that I already had the information about. But if not for him, I honestly don't think I would have been able to really crack the case, so to speak. (laughs) So when I called him on the phone, I said, look, I said, I'm just be real. I said, you know, I'm adopted. I'm looking for my birth mother. I need a transcript. Can you help? He said, no problem. He said, I can do that for you. He said, let me talk to the registrar, get back to you in a couple of days. He said, I'll call you back by Friday and I'll have it. He called me back on Fridays to say that the gal was out of town. I haven't forgotten about you. And he got me the information. And I will never forget that date. That was May of 2017. By now, my mother, my adopted mother, had been diagnosed with cancer. I got to take a pause. But he called me. So even in asking him if he could get the, the transcript and he said he could, I was like, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it was warm, but it was raining because we had stopped wearing coats by then. 
I remember when he said he had it, I stood up at my desk, physically just stood up. And I was like, really? He said, I'm going to be out and about anyway. I've got to do whatever it is he said he had to do. He said, it's no problem. I'll drop it off. So I was like, wow, thank you so much. So he dropped it off. I think I called or texted or emailed or did all three things to Militia and said, I've got this transcript. So the transcript had both parents' names. It had where they worked. It had um, Social Security number, birth, or, I'm sorry, birth date, most importantly, and what Militia had said, that birth date is the golden ticket. And I remember driving home, talking to her on the phone. And I remember thinking, I'm talking on the phone. You're not supposed to be doing that. And it's in the <laughs> rain, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care. And I'm in the garage and I'm talking in the garage. And so I think I must have talked to her. It was over an hour. What had made the search on her end a problematic? My birth mother's last name that she was using on the birth certificate was her stepfather's name and not her birth father's name. If you have stepfathers in the home and the children are fairly young, when they come into the home, they'll take the stepfather's name. And so that's essentially what she did. Once we got the birth date, then it was easier to find it. By now, I have done ancestry DNA results. So we're getting all these hits. So again, it's like hit after hit after hit. But we are still missing some of the, you know, the connecting pieces. Um, she explained to me how we were going to do this. She said, you know, I'll write this letter. The search stopped because my mother was ill. So that was in May. And then by the end of May, my mother passed away. And then that's that's what happened. That's what it was. We made the connection. We made what we now know was the real thing. It, it was the actual connection. And I remember thinking, I'm going to tell my mom about this when we go for a chemo session, because, you know, you're in there forever and it'll be lots to talk about. And I was thinking this will be something that we can talk about while we're waiting. But I never got the chance to do that because when she passed away, then I just stopped searching. And then I think it was at that point I reached back out to you and I was just riddled with a lot of guilt, just a lot of emotion, because I felt like, how could I look for my birth mother when my adopted mother was, was now deceased? How could I do that? Mm-hmm. That didn't seem right. And so I just, I couldn't do it. I just, I just, so I stopped. You know, I, I said earlier, I think that's the best way to describe my search from the age of five when I really couldn't do anything but it was just a series of stops and starts so I remember asking my kids well what do you think I should do like I feel guilty my kids are young adults they said wait until next year they said wait until next year and that way you know it's a clean start I said, all right, that sounds like a plan. That does sound sound wise, yeah, just to wait. I can wait Mm -hmm. until 2018. Somewhere in going through their Facebook accounts, it occurred to me uh, the hints that my birth mother was deceased. I could see where my mother was listed as deceased 
in the Social Security records, but my my birth mother was not listed. And that's pretty much what Militia was saying, that she could see that, you know, she had social, she just wasn't listed as deceased. I think that's the best way to just say it. So in going through these Facebook accounts and, you know, just kind of sleuthing them, I saw uh, one of the siblings was Facebook friends with my neighbor. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. So I said, in talking to Militia, and we were trying to determine how we would find out if my birth mother was a, was deceased or not. And I think by now I was talking to you about this as well. I remember saying, oh, well, that's my neighbor. I'm just going to ask her. How about that? You know, <laughs> so I was really nervous about calling and asking this question. So I called her and I said, do you know this guy named Ben? She said, oh, yes, I know Reverend Ben. And then I'm usually pretty articulate, but I remember in talking to her, I just kept going, um, um, okay, so, um, and I want to ask you this question, and, um, and to the point where she was like, just spit it just out. Just say it, just me? say it. <laughs> I was so nervous. You know, I said, okay, I said, I'm just going to tell you. I said, I think that this guy is my brother. I said, I'm not sure. I said, but I'm, you know, whatever I told her. And she said, okay, really? And then the first thing out of her mouth was, and I'll never forget it, okay, well, you can just come to church with me on Sunday and I'll introduce you. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, hold up. See, I remember that conversation like it was yesterday. And I remember asking her about my birth mom, and she did confirm. She said she did not know her, but she confirmed that she was deceased. Oh, wow. You are correct. From there, it moved really, really quickly. Yeah. And then we got into the conversation about who to call. I remember you being at the church. And, and yeah, like you. (laughs) And I told you, and I still believe this, that was perfectly okay. Like, that was perfectly okay. Because we're talking about something as big as being separated from our original family. Yes. But I felt like things just happen how they're supposed to happen i think in finding out that she was deceased i was really just devastated because i felt like i lost two moms and how do you get over that Mm -hmm. you know i just lost a mom and although my birth mom had been deceased since 2004 so when i look back at that timeline i just wasn't even in a space i you know i had my son was born in 2002, so he was a toddler. So I was I would tell people from 1998 until about 2005, I was knee-deep in diapers and bottles and breastfeeding. So there really would not have been an opportunity for me to fo- – and then I was working. I was working full-time. There, you know, a, a wife, a house, there's no way that I could have devoted – the time or the emotional energy to do that type of a search. And even talking about it now, I'm realizing and thinking about, you know, and uh, and again, fast forwarding just a little bit, my siblings didn't know of my existence. You know, who would I reach out to to say, hey, hello, I'm mm-hmm. here. So at that time, at that point, I knew that there were at least three siblings. What was also really super crazy was they all lived within 25 miles of me. It was just crazy. We probably 
crossed paths at one time or another, you know, in that time frame. And so it was a, a sense that this brother would be more, hopefully more open because there was a sister that was single and it was between her and the, him and the sister. So your advice was to stick to the facts, ma'am, just stick to the facts. <laughs> and so I went, I took that to heart and I put together in my mind a timeline that I wanted to express to him. But at any rate, you know, it was, it had to have been the end of January. So I remember getting to the church and parking in the parking lot. And now I already know what he looks like because I've been on the Facebook page. So I know what everybody looks like. So he was standing at the door and greeting people as they came in. So when I went through the door, I kind of ducked my head down the way people do when they don't want to be recognized. (laughs) So I ducked my head down going through the door. So I sat through the service and after the service, I kind of lost sight of him. I had to wait for him. I approached him and I said, you know, introduced myself. The only thing I said to him was, hi, my name is, you know, Lisa Daniels. Do you have a minute? I would like to talk to you. He didn't even ask me, what did I want to talk about? He just said, sure. And we sat down and I just kind of laid it all out for him. I said, I have reason to believe that we may be related, that we may be siblings. I explained to him that I had a birth certificate. I just started exactly the way you said. I started with the birth certificate. I went into the yearbook picture and my DNA results that had the Edwards. So now I know that Edwards is her maiden name. And so I explained to him that, you know, the year that I was born and I was very clear to tell him that the reason that I was interested in finding my birth family and I wanted to find my birth mother, of course, was just to let her know that she made the right choice, that she made the right decision, that I had a good life, that I was raised by two parents that provided for me that I wanted for nothing. That was the only reason And of course, to see who I looked like. But that was, you know, my primary. I wanted to let him know that those were my intentions. It was emotional at a point when I told him that my mother was deceased. And then he, of course, knowing that that my birth mother was deceased, that was kind of a tense emotional point. But at everything that I told him, every, you know, piece of information that I gave him, he said, oh, wow, okay, oh, wow, okay. That's literally the only thing he said. <laughs> In not knowing, he could have easily said, kick rocks. Right, talking, exactly. You know? yeah. But the only thing he said was, wow, okay, wow. And then he said, all right, and we must have been in there for about 45 minutes. And it was a sense that he was going to call some family members and just kind of ask some questions and get some information. Then we walked out of that room and his wife and his three children were there. And this is what struck me as well. He said to his wife who was standing there, um, Hey Randy, I want to, this is Lisa. This is my sister. And she gave me this look like, she said right away, you look like uncle Bernie, which would be my uncle. Uh, well, my mother's brother. 
my brother said, yeah, she does kind of favor him. And, and it was just like, what? So that was a Sunday, of course. Monday came and every day I would come home from work. I would tell my kids, I'd say, nobody called me today. They don't want me. They don't want to know me. So my my daughter was like, would you really just get over it? She's like, it hasn't even been 24 hours. She's like, would you relax? And then I think I had a conversation with you that said they may not be ready to accept you as family members. You know, you make your connections throughout the family, not just with one person. So if there was, so I, so by Tuesday in my mind, I was thinking, well, you know, maybe I can go to some of these other people who have come up in the search. So then Wednesday came and he called just as matter of fact as like, hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going well. He's like, okay, are you interested in meeting on Saturday? So what I found out later was, yes, he had definitely been making some phone calls. They were in full research mode. I found this out later. I met with them on Saturday, Saturday evening, I guess it was. I met with Ben and one of the middle sister. The other two siblings didn't come for whatever reason. And their dad, I believe, wanted to come, but they kind of pushed off because they knew that the conversation was going to be difficult. And so they, you know, told him, you know, to hold off. I brought pictures and showed, I had birth certificate. I had, you know, like everything. I brought everything that I had. So it was a and good meeting? It's It started out a good meeting because there was definitely a sharing. So then the question that was out there for me was, who was my father? Right. And so I came to the table with that question in mind. I was hoping that their father was my father. Wouldn't that be a great thing? So through the course of the conversation, so we talked about all this other stuff first and then toward the, you know, end of the middle to the end of the conversation, the meeting, they were aware of who my father was. The conversation kind of went, Camille said she had a conversation with her dad. And she said, you know, looking at my son's picture, she said, Colin looks kind of like Uncle Stephen, who is a, one of my uncles who's deceased, my mother's brother who's deceased. And she said, yeah, he looks kind of like Uncle Stephen. And so she said her father made the comment, well, he should. And she's like, well, why, why is that? And, and so then it became clear that, uh, the stepfather whose name she had taken was my birth father. And I don't think I was expecting that. I had to take a break. This was not a one-time occurrence. This had been abuse that had been going on. I was the culmination of that abuse. It changed the dynamic of that household because, of course, um, you know, the stepfather left the home. They were divorced. My grandmother, my mother's mother, did not want anyone to know. The way they tell me, my birth mother wanted her children to know. Mm-hmm. And so my, I call him my stepfather. My stepfather found out when, when they, when he proposed her, when they were going to get married. That's when she told him. By now, her birth father, her real father, um, has remarried my grandmother. My grandfather is aware that this happened as well. 
Because I, I do think it goes back to what my mother said to me all those years ago, that you just really have to be ready for what you will find. Yeah. And it also goes back to what I said about that period of time when you look at television and everybody was doing a reunion story about finding their adoptive children, adopted brothers and sister. Everybody was doing a reunion story. And so they lead you to believe that these stories of reunion will be Hollywood. There are secrets that families carry with them. I do think that the adoption agency, they may have told them, you know, maybe not about the sexual assault part, but that there was someone in the home or whoever it was. There had to have been something that my mother was smart enough to put two and two together to say, yeah, you know, you just need to be careful. I believe uh, our, our parents got more information than they shared with us. And mm-hmm. and maybe, like you said, it wasn't detail for detail, but enough for them to mm-hmm. put together. Mm-hmm. Mm, I, you know, because I think my mom was protective of right. me in terms of not supporting me in a search. I choose to look at it that way, that she wasn't being selfish, that she maybe did know something that she mm-hmm. felt would be harmful for me to know. Right. Um, yeah. Right. And, and, and you sharing you know, being so vulnerable here. I know that there are so many people that have experienced that and just mm-hmm. to know they're not alone in right. having to navigate that once you learn it and, and process it. I didn't think that it was unheard of, but I don't think that I was prepared to hear that it was the stepfather. I don't mm-hmm. think I was prepared to hear that. Mm-hmm. And then I think just the disappointment in like, wow, like really that, that like, wow. And then I woke up the next morning, like I just felt like they could have, my siblings could have gone the whole rest of their lives and not have known this painful thing. And I felt bad about that. My mother struggled with this and it manifested in a lot of different ways, both negative and positive. You know, she was in counseling and working through it even as an adult. But then for them not to know, I think that was the part. She I was, think yeah. That, you know, she I was think carrying I was just, that by herself. Yeah. Right. But I think from what they tell me, she wanted to tell her own children. And then my stepfather has told me that she wanted to find me and not only did she want to find me she wanted to adopt other children so it was really comforting to hear that as much as I was looking for her in her mind she wanted to find me yeah because she was able to you know she married someone that you know she knew from the neighborhood somebody that you know she went to high school with this was her high school sweetheart you know she built a life that was stable was full the way that we look at sexual assault in 2021 is totally different from the way that people looked at sexual assault in 1966 Mm -hmm. and she did have a desire to become an ordained minister she was a housewife for most of them growing up but she was able to go back to school and get a, a bachelor's degree. And so she became a teacher. 
all of the things like you like you mentioned you know um she was able to overcome a lot i think the ways in which she managed and survived was rooted in her faith and also rooted in her care and love and protection of her children and also the way she ministered to people in the church you know um to to have us all together yeah she, this is what she would have wanted mm-hmm. um, and that we are we are that legacy come to life and so you know i tease my you know brothers and sisters i tell them you know uh, we we celebrate and of course because <laughs> i got to remember the exact date but we celebrate our our fam fanversary we call it a fanversary i was mm-hmm. pastor and so usually in january uh, around the time that i and i always say i ambushed been at the the church <laughs> you know that's the day that we celebrate our fanversary how do you spell so, that <laughs> um just f-a-m-b-e-r-s-a-r-y our fanversary okay i like that fanversary so, my mother's passing was so close to that time i always get it mixed up who is it my mother's fourth year or fifth year that she's been gone so i have to send you a picture of This year, I think, was our third year. I have to find out where I fit in. I want to be conscious of how people may still be processing what happened. Right. Is it safe to say that you are also putting to rest your paternal side of the family for now? So you know how we said in all families, it's messy. It's it's all of these things. Mm -hmm. I have spoken a couple of different times to my uncle my my mother's brother so there were three of them she was of this you know with my stepfather she was his stepdaughter but then my grandmother had two children by him my Mm -hmm. my father so there's a brother that still lives in colorado he's got to be in his 60s and then there was another brother who is deceased so when all of this came out, he was very hesitant to acknowledge that I existed. They called him directly and asked my siblings. And he was, well, you know, there were some things that happened. This was a dark time. He was not forthcoming mm-hmm. about it. The first cousins, his children all knew and my brothers and sisters didn't know. And there was some resentment there. There was some anger there. When I spoke to him the first time, uh, so then the first thing that he asked them when they told him that I, I existed, well, what does she want? Well, how do you know it's her? He, she's who she says she is. And my brother said he told my uncle when I look at her, I know that's who she is because she looks just like she looks. She looks just like mom. That's what he told her. Mm-hmm. I did eventually speak with him. He's got a particular personality, but you know, I did speak, speak <laughs> with him, and um, you know, he asked a lot of questions. He asked me um, what did I want to refer to him as, brother or uncle, and I thought that was odd. But I told him uncle was just fine. And then he did ask me, to your question, um, he did ask me, was I interested in a relationship or meeting my father? And I told him I did not. 
um, I was open to meeting other parts of the family, right. but not so much him because he is still he is still living. I have come since come to the realization that he is not as interested in getting to know me because I am still in his mind the deep dark secret. Like I said, he has a particular kind of personality. I, I don't think that he is as interested as he was putting out there about families. Once people will say that they're interested in keeping family together, but if the practice is not there, it becomes pretty obvious. Right. So I, I, I will say that my siblings, not all of us, you know, my siblings, we work together pretty well as a family. I talk to Ben probably the most. And then my other brother, I talk to him pretty frequently. But this uncle that is on the other side of the family, his interaction with all of us, he, he doesn't practice what he preaches. Let me just put it that way. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think that... Because um, that's their... Yeah, that's their uncle. That's their uncle. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, totally their uncle. Right. And, and they grew up knowing him. Right. right. They grew up knowing him. Yeah. They did. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I find it. Up. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say I find it interesting that when secrets do come up, come out, how people can be so t- I guess attached to them that mm-hmm. they yeah like they they're stuck like they're stuck like once it comes out it's it, that's it it's done with it's nothing to be attached to anymore it's over and yet some people don't seem well, to see it that way. But I, I also think that. His father is still living. My birth father is still living. I can only imagine how difficult it is to to have knowledge that this parent has done this thing. That you, you don't stop loving that parent. They can separate the abuser from the one that they have this emotional connection to. So somewhere along the line, I do believe you know he acknowledges. You can't you cannot acknowledge that this thing happened, then I show up. Now you definitely can't Mm -hmm. deny it, but you still have, this is still your parent. This is still your father. Right. So maybe what do you do do with that? Yeah. Do you think if, if um, he was not still alive, that your uncle slash brother, both of you share the same father, if he were not alive, would it be regarded differently? I think it may. I think it's possible. Um, I, I think. Like he's protecting dynamic, him more so because yeah. he's still alive. Yes. You know, he's talked about the degree to what he knew at that time. I think the best thing about being in reunion is knowing that both my adoptive mother, the mother I grew up with, the mother that raised me, and then the mother that birthed me, that this is what they would have wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's a culmination of that. This is the way it was always meant to be. I have family members that belong to me. Mm-hmm. I think that, that's nice. My My brother and I, my brother that I grew up with, and I have been slightly estranged. I'm going to say we have become estranged since my mother passed away. And so I remember thinking that without the closeness of the brother that I grew up with, you know, I don't have anybody. There's nobody. You know, if something happened, you know, to me, 
who who would be there? You know what I mean? Right. Who, who would be there to bear witness? Right. Um, it's one thing for you, to, you know, to have children, but you want your children to go on and be able to live their lives. But I, and I, I don't mean that to say that I want somebody to take care of me, but just somebody there. Yeah. Um, and like and on so, your same tier, I call it yes. like same tier. Yes. That's how I feel about my yes. brother. Yeah. Yes. And so to find out that, um, you know, I have not just one brother, but I have two brothers and two other sisters. That was just amazing. Yeah. That was just amazing. And then to find out that I have not one niece, what is this, th- four nieces and nephews. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Just to find out that and that they're all blood related to me and the reason I know is because you know me I'm the doubter <laughs> we all two of us two of the three out of the five of us took DNA right. and we are in fact related <laughs> the DNA as Maury Povich would say and the DNA results say we are definitely related that's so, right. um, and that's just awesome my birth mother would have been really delighted to know uh, you know, just like I told Ben, that she made the right decision. And maybe the decision wasn't hers to make uh, because she was so young, but to know that it all turned out the way it was supposed to turn out, it mm-hmm. turned out for good. And I know. think that's what our birth mothers wanted. That's what they wanted more, more than anything, to be able to be in reunion and learn that everything turned out all right for you. Because that's really, I mean, to go nine months carrying a child and we both know we've experienced that 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 would be your your main concern if you Absolutely. could not raise your child yeah Absolutely. well I just thank you so much for taking the time and we did I, I wanted to honor your time a little better than this than keeping That's okay. you yeah it's been really good and we hadn't talked in a while so it was a lot of catching up anyway right. so Thank you. I don't know if there's anything I didn't ask you, but maybe you'll come back. <laughs> maybe you'll come back and, and we'll Anytime. talk more. I'd be honored. Yeah, definitely. I'd be honored. I didn't expect Lisa to be completely vulnerable and transparent. She shared so much with me in the hopes of at least one person knowing they have company and are not alone. What you don't know is Lisa and I talked for over two hours during this recording because that's what happens when you get two adoptees together. Emotions get stirred as you think back to childhood and the many times of processing not knowing your family of origin. Thank you, Lisa, for saying yes to a conversation with me as one adoptee to another who happened to belong to the same family. We wrap up 16 episodes by saying thank you for being here. And I look forward to bringing you more episodes of Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, the podcast about adoption from the perspective of the adoptee.